Welcome to the Inspiratio podcast, podcast focused on topics around spirituality, rationality, and art. I am Navid Divana, your host. I am a Amsterdam-based, trained neuroscientist, professional DJ, and explorer of philosophy, science, and meditation. Today's guest is Eileen Kennedy. Eileen is a holistic psychologist specialized in trauma, mindfulness, and mindfulness-based childbirth and parenting. She is also a breath workshop instructor specialized in psychedelic breath, and she's also a doula. We will be diving into topics around mindful birthing, psychological trauma, the science and practice of breath work, pros and cons of Western medicine, and other topics. If you like to support the show, you can check out our website, inspiratiopodcast.com, and see how you can do that. You can also sign up there for our newsletter to receive an email when a new episode is released. And now I bring you Eileen Kennedy. Tell me something about yourself. What is important to share? What is important to share? Hmm. Yeah, well, um, I've been living in Amsterdam for quite some time, about 30 years, and have a mixed cultural background. And so I grew up with English as a mother tongue. And I love doing a lot of my work in English. Um, so I work as a clinical psychologist and I also, also do, uh, private and group breathwork sessions and yeah, the breathwork I do only in English and the therapy, I have like a lot of expat clients and yeah, I'm, I must say I really enjoy and feel so much at home and also doing so much of my work in English now because I used to do everything in Dutch. Right. And, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> So even though you've been living most of your life here in the Netherlands, yeah. you still are more comfortable with English uh, than Dutch. Yeah, I think I just, uh, I, I love speaking Dutch, but I, it makes me really happy to have more English in my life now. Okay. And, and I find that you can express your ways yourself in just a different way. <sighs> and I, I love to be able to, to, to incorporate that also in my work. Nice. And the nice thing about Amsterdam is that almost everybody speaks English here, so I can get away with, you know, doing my group sessions in English, and people uh, still want that, so, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good, nice. Yeah. So, um, what is your background, like, what kind of uh, education, experience um, do you have, and how mm. does it affect the things that you're doing right now? Mm. Um, yeah, can you tell something about your history and yeah. your work? Yeah, well, I think, yeah, for me, the things that I ended up doing have a lot to do with uh, where I was at also as a teenager. Yeah. And um, there are kind of two things that come into play there is that I, I already at a very young age had this like really quite deep, crazy curiosity about the connection between the body and the mind. And I had this yeah. feeling of like, there's really something there and how does that work? And, and 
yeah, you know, back then, this is a while ago, the, yeah, neuroscience was like just, just like in its baby shoes. Like right. it was like yeah, in the nineties, yeah. there was like some new age stuff coming in, but it was all very new agey, you know. <laughs> And now, you know, 10, 20 years later, a lot of the stuff that was a bit more woo-woo there, we're actually seeing like, oh, we can measure this now, <laughs> you know. Okay. yeah. And um, so I was very much interested in the body-mind connection and um, and also had my own challenges as a teenager with changes going on in my own personal life and uh, struggling also with like feeling a bit down and depressed. And so I also got really, yeah, curious on how to like be with that and uh, so already at that age I was very much getting into uh, reading a lot uh, being a bit of a bookworm nerd okay so reading a lot about yoga about buddhism about death tantra um and getting into from the books doing little little practice thingies like I would read a book about like uh uh, lucid dreaming and then i would like play with that for a couple of weeks and see if i could like you know become more aware of my oh, dream cool. states and have different experiences and so i was really like into that and then um, and did it work did you get more lucid dreams going i i didn't continue with it so i like i just came to a point where i was like oh i can be aware of the fact that I'm dreaming while I'm dreaming yeah. and then stay with it for a bit instead of shooting out of the dream and waking up instantly. Ah, okay. And I could be aware like, ah, now I'm in the dream. Ah, and then I have space for choice. Yeah. Because yeah. when you're aware of the fact that you're dreaming, you can also control the dream and the outcome more. Yeah. And, um, uh, I think that that, yeah, actually can have a profound effect in your life, especially if you're having dreams that have like a negative, uh, feel to them like yeah. being powerless or whatever you, know, you can break through the stuff uh, okay. through that yeah interesting <laughs> yeah yeah they're doing a lot of interesting research on lucid dreaming they're now able to communicate with lucid dreamers by in a experimental setting yeah by telling them when you get lucid do this and that eye movement like oh two times God. left three times right i'm yeah, just saying yeah. something and they actually do it and then they can talk through this morse language oh like, my god yeah <laughs> yeah you mentioned lucid dreaming <laughs> so i was like uh, wow yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. And so then, I, yeah, I was like, um, and I was also very much into massage already from a very young age, like always massaging and touching people. And then people were like, oh, you're really good at it. It feels really nice. And, um, so I was really uh, curious about that also. And, um, um, then I was finishing high school. I was like at a Montessori high school here in Amsterdam and I had no idea what I wanted to do. Uh, but I did have this curiosity for the this body-mind question of, like, how does that work? And then uh, we had to go and look at these, like, open days at universities. And then um, I ended up choosing, like, anthropology and psychology to take a look at. Oh, yeah. And I happened to have, like, a really, really good uh, teacher who was doing a big talk about, yeah, the body and the brain and neuroscience and emotions. And I was like, ooh, what's this? <laughs> I was like, I want to know more about this. So then I uh, started uh, studying psychology. And, uh, uh, yeah, I enjoyed that. But, yeah, it was the, the UFA, uh, with the University of Amsterdam, which is very much focused on, like, uh, research and uh, science, and which was, 
you know, so it's a lot of uh, statistics and writing and papers and stuff. And I was like, I also want to have like a bit more like of a base of like all the different aspects of psychology and not just only the, the, the scientific research part, you know, having a broader understanding. So I, I decided to choose what they call, um, general psychology instead of choosing like a specific route because then I had a lot of freedom to choose all the courses that I wanted to do. So I did that. And then I realized when I was getting near the end, like, Oh, but now I'm, I'm going to finish and I can graduate, but I've never seen the client right, (laughs) or the patient or whatever you want to call it. And, um, so then I, I, I did the courses that I still needed to do to, to be able to do an internship. And, um, so I, I, I graduated as a clinical psychologist and, uh, when was this? Uh, Probably around 2000. Okay. Yeah. Something like that. Right. Yeah. That's, I was still in high school back then, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. I just started high school, maybe. I, no, I was 15. Yeah. So a few years into high school. Yeah. 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 I was wondering if our tracks were overlapping or I, I don't know. Yeah. So, and where, where psychology was at that moment. So, okay. Yeah. 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 And so, um, when I finished, uh, university, um, I also felt that, uh, yeah, I wanted to focus on other things before I started getting into, you know, a job as a psychologist or moving in with my boyfriend, maybe buying a house, having kids. I, I knew all these things would, would come, um, and I felt like I want to, you know, take a little break here in between and uh, do other things. And also, yeah, with having had already at a young age this quite deep interest in spirituality, yeah, so I went off for three months to India and I did like um, a Reiki course there and an Ayurvedic massage course, I traveled a bit. You did, sorry, you did this after you finished your studies? After yeah, university, yeah. yeah. Okay. And for me, that... That's kind of what it feels like. What happens in my life yeah. is like, like I, I, it's like a pendulum that's always swinging back and forth <laughs> from moving from this like more like Western scientific perspective and then moving more into the Eastern, um, uh, view of, uh, health and, um, yeah, what's already been there already for quite some time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And where has all of this led to now? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, after a couple of years of doing clinical work, uh, which I very much enjoyed, um, what was another like huge shift for me was becoming a mother. Yeah. And that really, yeah, changed me in so many ways. Um, First of all, birth experience, but then also just, yeah, shifting into, yeah, a, a, a different space within yourself. I see motherhood also as like a huge time of transition and transformation and not this like, oh, you have a baby and then you bounce back to who you were and getting a flat tummy and oh, yeah. w- working as, <laughs> as hard as men do because you want to have your career and be uh, <laughs> empowered and feminist or whatever. 
Um, but women often go through really quite some uh, identity changes and um, uh, they call this like a matrescence. Like, okay. so just like you have adolescence that uh, right. everybody goes through with all these like physical hormonal changes, yeah. and changes of identity and relationships to yourself in the world. And it's like awkwardness and it takes a while and, you don't, every, and you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. So moms go through that also. Well, I feel like every 10 years I'm going into some sort of new adolescence also like from 10 to 20, 20 to 30 now. 30 to 40 is, I feel like it's a new phase. Again. Yeah. But yeah, I can really imagine that yeah. motherhood kicks in a complete new process. Obviously. Yeah. 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 And, and my first birth experience was like so empowering that I also felt like, whoa, it's like such a powerful experience, you know? I mean, it really yeah. is quite a rite of passage and a huge learning and like surrender and feeling your own strength. And you mean the, the actual process of giving birth? Yeah. Or you mean the whole, pregnancy no or, really the birth itself you felt it was really empowering yeah yeah so yeah, the first birth okay. yeah <laughs> so your experiences your first birth was uh better than the easier than the second yeah Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, hear I, the opposite I, I experienced two extremes. Okay. Um, from like a really beautiful, peaceful, you know, a uh, home birth with partner, midwife, mom, sister, you know, like really, uh, really beautiful. Um, which is also kind of what I grew up with considering normal because my mom always had this like yeah love for home birth and this confidence that yeah that women can birth so I, I felt that also but I'd been doing this mindfulness teacher training while I was pregnant and because I wanted to also incorporate mindfulness in my work as a clinical psychologist and I wasn't thinking about how that would affect my pregnancy and birth you know so right okay um birthing a baby for most people is really quite painful yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like you can't imagine the intensity yeah and how much focus it takes to like be there and to not you know get into panic or freaking out because of the intensity and so my mindfulness practice like really helped me to like stay in the moment every time again and again and so later my midwife was like wow how did you do that you're like so calm <laughs> like so quiet nice. while you're having like really intense contractions you know like pushing for two and a half hours <laughs> which is like really long and um uh, i was like yeah i was using my mindfulness practice and then she told me like oh well, have you heard of mindful birthing and parenting so it's just like childbirth course right that has the structure and format of an eight-week mindfulness-based stress reduction program the mbsr yeah but then a childbirth course incorporated it into it So you're preparing okay. like a couple who are expecting a baby uh, through this method to prepare for pregnancy, uh, birth, uh, and beyond in parenting. So you're giving them basically stress coping skills and life skills. And I really felt really passionate about this. I saw it as a, like an intervention on a system that is in the making, a family system that is in the making, helping to create more awareness and presence and yeah. kindness. So I did the teacher training for that. Okay. Wow. And you're the midwife actually kind of, uh, was the person who inspired you to. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Yeah. And, um, yeah. 
Yeah, it was an amazing midwife. I, I caught her like in her last year of working or something. I think she was like 70 then or okay. something. <laughs> and how was this already? So back then you were still not doing anything with the breath work? No. Okay. No, no. So I did the, the, the mindful birthing teacher training. And then I had go, got pregnant again, had another baby. Then I had a, a completely different birth experience, which was like super traumatic. Yeah. Uh, because after birth, uh, she almost died. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, so she was in intensive care for a while. And so it was really like really quite intense. Yeah. And it took some time for me to feel the impact um, of this experience. Um So when she was about three or four months old, I finally had space to start to feel myself a little bit more because I was so focused on taking care of her and her sister and worrying if she's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I started to feel myself more. I went to, uh, had a, uh, a rebalancing session and all of a sudden the tears came and all of a sudden I realized, whoa, shit, like what I went through was like really scary. Um, so I had a long process of uh, EMDR trauma therapy, a really long and intense burnout. Right. So I was like out of the running for two years. Yeah. Um, and, and I was also thinking like, oh, shoot, like how am I going to do this? I've like decided to focus my whole life on supporting women and working with pregnancy and birth and there was a time where i could not hang out with pregnant women or be happy for people with small babies yeah. who were like having a good time oh, wow. and i was like i've chosen these things and yeah. i don't know if i can ever do this you know it seems as if the, the <laughs> challenges were thrown at you exactly in the fields that you were working on yeah. you personally got huge challenges yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly and i also realized in that moment also like okay so either i'm gonna get like really good at healing this and i will right. be like much better at what i want to offer because of what i went through or i'll come to a point where i realize i have to make another career choice and give up on <laughs> what i Whoa. what i thought was the right way <laughs> wow well, how long ago was this Oh. Um, yes, yeah, my daughter's six now, so okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, how did you realize that it is the path that you want to continue on? Yeah, yeah. So, after, after, yeah, two years of like really intensive, like lots of like therapy and stuff, and I did a lot of EMDR myself, yeah. also. So, this is like a, a Uh, a method to to work with trauma yeah uh, the uh, eye movement reprocessing and desensitization yeah. Uh, yeah technique yeah, yeah, yeah. um and so i've also felt how uh, intense and how powerful this method is myself and yeah. how healing it it can be um And then, yeah, I, I, I got better. And then I uh, started teaching the mindful birthing and parenting courses and like really, really enjoyed this. And then I started yeah. also coaching pregnant women and combining coaching with massage. And I had my own practice. Okay. Wow. <laughs> and that was all kind Massaging of like pregnant women. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Pregnant women and also women after birth. Yeah. 
And um, do you have then a focus on also massaging the belly mm -hmm. of the pregnant woman? Yeah. So basically massaging the baby. Yeah, a bit. no, and it's super special <laughs> yeah. and really like really quite sacred because yeah, most babies when they're still in the belly are only touched by their parents and you know two or three other people maybe. And yeah, it's a very intimate thing, and I know what it, it feels is. like to yeah. feel life within you. You know, and yeah. to feel that in another woman's body and have to have that, that, that contact and to feel those movements is like really sacred. Yes. Um, but also I found also massaging women after birth also felt sacred to, to like, to help them to reconnect yeah. to the, this space that has created life. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And how, how does, so, um, yeah. How did you realize, like, okay, um, the 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 therapy I've taken myself has worked uh, enough for mm -hmm. me to be able to continue this path? Was there a moment, an epiphany, or was it just like you worked through it and then slowly you yeah. were back on track? Or? Well, so with the coaching and also with the mindful birthing courses, I wasn't doing clinical work, so that yeah. made a difference. Uh, but I was working, you know, continuously with pregnant women and mothers. Yeah. And that, uh, at that point was like really good. Like I, I felt really, uh, like I was really doing meaningful work and making really a big difference. Yeah. Um, and you could face it because like, I, I mean, I, I'm just wondering mm -hmm. like during when you were having your own therapy and like yeah. going through your the most heavy part of your yeah, process yeah. you were not doing this work no right? no no, no. Like, i was on sick leave yeah yeah, yeah i yeah, was yeah. out of order because yeah. it couldn't be like, <laughs> in the vicinity of uh, like you said even like uh yeah pregnant women or, yeah. and then there was a moment so after a while that you could basically yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and it was also in that phase of transition of getting out of the burnout and starting my own work that I also did a doula teacher training. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so doula is like someone who's present, um, yeah, or usually connected to a couple during pregnancy and help supporting them physically and emotionally during birth. Yeah. So it's not a midwife who does also medical procedures, uh, but it's really more the physical and emotional support. Um, yeah. So I, I, I did that, uh, that, that training and uh, was ready to like, get into that but then uh, i also realized that other things needed to change in my life and that was also this very long relationship that i had been with with mm -hmm. the father of my children and that i uh, realized that it was it was time uh, to let it go and so we we separated and that made another big shift um because also then i could not continue my doula work uh, mm. Because if you're, uh, if you have a client who's pregnant, you're basically on call for them for five weeks, 24 seven. Right. Night and day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't just like leave the house, uh, you know, if your kids are sleeping and go like, yeah, I'm going to go yeah, and catch exactly. a baby with a midwife, you know? Yeah. So, so I had to let go of that. Um, But then, you know, I, I got back into the, the clinical therapy work then uh, when, when we separated. And then I realized, actually, I'm come, I've come back to a place where I can really do this clinical work, but I'm going to get out of the clinical setting and start my own practice and do it my own way. 
and take all of these things that I've experienced and all the different trainings that I've had and really just focus um, specifically on on uh, on women yeah. around pregnancy, birth, postpartum, fertility issues or miscarriages, uh, loss, death. Um, yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so um, you were earlier mentioning that the, this um, program, mindfulness program for mm. pregnancy. And yeah. um, how, how does this kind of look like? Were you like, um, so now you're talking about also things that you need to deal with after the birth, like mm. miscarriages or trauma or mm. et cetera. But the um, training Uh, during pregnancy is that focused on uh so so uh, actually this is something a course that pregnant women take like uh going towards giving birth exactly yeah it's And a childbirth education course or is it also with the, mindfulness yeah are yeah. there also women who are not pregnant who are like for one day i no. might want to okay no 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 okay. And, and women usually come with their partner yeah 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 and so yeah after I, um, as I was transitioning the separation, yeah. I came into contact with breath work for the first time. Mm. And within my first session, I was blown away by the power of it and the depth and the experiences in my body, the things that I saw, the things that I felt, how easily I was brought to, into deep connection with emotions and feelings that I came out of that and I was just like, whoa, excuse my French, but what the fuck was that? You know? <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I was can, just like, swear on I was like, <laughs> whoa, like, huh? Like this can happen. Yeah. 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 Just on your breath. Yeah. And no substances or a weird long therapy or, or, or ritual or, you know, 20 day vipassana, you know, no one hour and experiencing all these different experiences and yeah. what I can know and label now as a non-ordinary state of consciousness, yeah, yeah. Um, which most people only experience, like, for example, with use of psychedelics. Yeah. Um, Did you have any experience with psychedelics before that? Just one. Okay. And it was really intense and unprepared. And, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so I yeah. wasn't looking at that like, oh, that was so much fun. Yeah. You know, at that point I was thinking, I am never doing that again. Um, but, um, so this, this one experience just like really blew me away. And I knew like right away, like, I'm also going to guide this. I'm going to teach this, you know, yeah. like, like I can't not do this. Having had this experience, I can't sit here and just ignore it, you know, because yeah. in therapy, there's so much, Only so much you can do on the cognitive level. And it's so hard for so many people to actually connect to their emotions and to really feel yeah. and uh, to open up. And uh, we have so many protective mechanisms that keep us away from really, really feeling and, and really letting go and releasing. And this is a way to like allow the body to like really offload <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so much stuff, yeah. uh, stuff we don't even know is there, you know? Yeah. And, um, and the breath work you've gone, uh, like after the, uh, doing your psych psychology training, your yeah. university 
gr uh, graduation and working as psychologist and then mm. going into the mindful um, birthing yeah. uh, training. After that, you uh, encountered breath work more recently, right? So this has been a more of a recent. Uh, yeah. Uh, in November, it will be three years ago. Okay. Yeah. The first breath session. Yeah. And this September, I'll have been a certified psychedelic breath facilitator for two years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, so, how would you describe um, breath work? What do people do? Mm. Why does it make such a difference as you're describing? What do we know about it? Scientifically, okay, there's many questions. <laughs> so many start, questions. So start somewhere. And we'll okay, see. I'll start talking, and then if I'm, I go on too long, you stop okay. me and like help me refocus because I, I can talk a lot about these things. Well, great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. So yeah, breathwork is like a generic yeah term for all kinds of different breathwork yeah. techniques, and there's a lot out there in the Netherlands. A lot of people know Wim Hof. Yeah. Uh, there, the, there's the the Ice Man. The yeah. Ice Man. There's the transformational breathing. And it's been around since I think the 60s or something. The holotropic breath. Um, and then in the last couple of years, there's been an explosion of, yeah, soma breath, biorhythm breath. Like, there's like, it's yeah, like yeah. So, so many variations. And so what you're doing usually in breath work, uh, generally is changing your breathing pattern. Yeah. Um, Breathing in more deeply mm -hmm. into the belly and into the chest because most people are breathing like really quite high, like really up in their chest. Yeah. Um, and they're not really using their diaphragm yeah. and allowing for space, uh, uh, with the breathing. And so they're just using actually part of their lungs and not getting in enough oxygen. Um, which means that a lot of people also breathe, um, uh, quite a lot so that there's a shallow breath that is going quite right. quickly. Because and so the amount of breaths per minute is much higher than it should be. Like the absolute, like healthiest state of breathing is if you have five and a half inhalations and exhalations per minute. Okay. Where do you, where do you get this number from? <laughs> Uh, from, um, this, uh, book called, um, Breath, um, by, oh my God, what's his name? Uh, James Nestor. Yeah. I think I just looked, uh, into, yeah, I was just reading about it. Yeah. Yeah. So there's something about, but wasn't reading the book, but about it. Yeah, yeah. There's something about that five and a half breaths per minute that has like the ideal, like in a way, a physiological makeup. If you look at heart rate, blood pressure, brain activity, uh, focus, sense of well-being and relaxation, it, it's like the, the, the best sweet spot to be for your body because your breath... In a relaxed state, right? Because I can imagine if you're running, you need different breathing. Or, of course. Yeah, yeah. Of okay. course. Yeah. So in a resting state. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the, 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 your breath is kind of like, um, like a, a motor in some sense of all kinds of other physiological processes in your body. Yeah. Uh, and so regulating your breath changes how you feel. And so these, these, these five and a half breaths per minute, they found 
if you look at a lot of the old traditions that use sound and chanting yeah. across the globe. Yeah. So not just in one place in India, but like in all kinds of different cultures that there's so much old music and chanting yeah. that is taking people into exactly that precise rhythm. Okay. Um, wow. Which <laughs> explains also a lot about the, the use of getting into particular types of, uh, you know, if it's a uh, Buddhist monk chanting or mantras yeah. or, or whatever, that there's really some like deep power there that is really, um, restorative for your system, yeah. your body, your brain. So, um, <laughs> little yeah. sidetrack. Yeah. So back, so to, back to the, the breath, the breath work, work itself. Yeah. So you're changing your breath there and going into deeper breathing and also accelerating the speed of your breath a bit. Okay. And so the, technique that i teach is called psychedelic breath yeah uh, it's coming from berlin from my teacher eva kachor yeah. who created this method herself uh, having a yoga background herself and also being a psychologist she created this and with this technique we're uh, breathing in yeah really quite deeply and at a, quite a pace so to give you an idea it would sound a bit like this Yeah, so already if I'm doing that for four breaths, I'm already feeling changes yeah. in my body. Yeah. So exactly. if you keep that up for like, you know, 30, 40 minutes, you're really changing your body's physiology. Yeah, and, and you're uh, connecting the in-breath and out-breath, yes. right? Did I see yeah. that? So you're, you're not stopping in between and you're just continuing. Yeah. With it. yeah. So there's no pause. Yeah. It is circular breathing, but with psychedelic breath, we also use uh, breath holds. Uh, so, or breath retentions or whatever you want to call it in yoga, they call it the kumbhaka. And, uh, and I've heard also some yoga teachers say that the kumbhaka is actually really the essence of pranayama, which is the yogic breathing. Okay. That it's so important yeah. to also have breath holds. And so you can hold your breath after you've inhaled and you can hold your breath after you've exhaled. And both also are different. So and after a period of continuous breathing, like you demonstrated, you have a period of retention yeah yeah so we hold the breath after the exhalation we stay there for a while and then after that we breathe all the way in hold the breath again on the after the inhalation and the first breath holds is longer than the second one and it builds up to at some point people will be holding their breath for two or two and a half minutes and um yeah, often people are really surprised if I tell them later, like, yeah, you held your breath for two and a half minutes. Yeah. They're like, no, no <laughs> way. I can do 30 seconds, you know, like, <laughs> and that's because you're changing the body's physiology. And yeah. so oxygen levels are going up a little bit, mm -hmm. uh, but not so much, just a tiny bit because we're usually already quite saturated with oxygen. Yeah. Um, but the levels of carbon dioxide are really shifting quite a bit. And it's especially with this, the first breath hold. Uh, and also after the intense breathing that the carbon dioxide levels are going up quite a bit. And we often like to think of it as something that's bad or that because we're exhaling it, it's, yeah. it's evil or something. Uh, but our body also does need some <laughs> carbon dioxide. Yeah, okay. And when the levels go up, what's interesting is what happens is that the body becomes more efficient at absorbing oxygen. So you need less for the same effect. Mm -hmm. And your body uses less energy to absorb oxygen when there's a high level of carbon dioxide. Okay. So that means that you can hold your breath so much longer <laughs> yeah. after you've done this deep breathing. 
Yeah. And it's exactly in this space of, of holding the breath that a lot of people experience intense states of stillness, um, insight, um, and insight could be like on a really deep spiritual level, but it could also be an insight of like, yeah, f feeling like your own power or your own beauty. Everybody has their own limiting beliefs, you know, and in therapy, it's so hard to like get people to like, okay, well, let go of the idea that you're not good enough. I can tell you that <laughs> you can also tell yourself in the mirror every day. Maybe that does something, but this is like a different <laughs> entrance where sometimes during the breath session and it, it's often during the breath holds it could also be another moment that sometimes all of a sudden insight comes in from the inside that allows us to let go of our limiting beliefs so that's why i think it's such, like such a powerful practice because people can also experience all kinds of like emotions and let go of like sadness or anger or rage or shame yeah but also allow themselves to connect really deeply into this sense of like love and feeling good enough or feeling beautiful or feeling like oh but actually these things that i want in life i can actually do it yeah and like feel like the, the the power and the energy and the drive and the direction to actually go ahead and and do stuff yeah um, and do you actually also um, because you give you give these uh, breath uh, work sessions, right? Mm -hmm. Like I, I know you do it in group sessions. Yeah. Do you also do individually? Yeah, or? I also do one on one. Okay. So I, I did a training this year uh, to become a breath coach to work one on one. Yeah. So I do that also. Yeah. And yeah. how do you see? Do you see uh, any uh, prolonged effects uh, with the people you're working? Like, how do you know um, what effect it has on them? Like. A month later or uh hmm. yeah beautiful question um i in that in that sense the honest answers i don't have that much data on okay. that yet yeah because I like honest answers. yeah <laughs> <laughs> because the people who come to my breath sessions they're not coming in every week they're not coming in every month yeah they're not telling me everything about what yeah. they're doing in their life you know and sometimes like amazing things happen in a breath session and you think oh that's nice but then maybe four months later then you see what changes yeah. somebody's made in their life and so i don't really know yet is there data on this I, i've been looking into it a little bit uh, into the research on yeah. breath work and i feel like um yeah i mean the of course these uh, practices have been around for maybe mm -hmm. thousands of years, some yeah. of them. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of uh, self-reports on positive effects mm -hmm. and on health and also some research like into the Wim Hof method, for mm -hmm. example, which has been researched the most, I guess, is, um, well, there, it seems they're finding something. It's still like not in a phase of where there's huge consensus, what is exactly going on. But I yeah. feel like, Mm, do you know of any d data on the psychological effects? Is there more known already what long-term effect it has? Mm. Or I think I do remember reading something about that in the James Nestor book of just like a, a like enhanced sense of like well-being and happiness yeah. and things like that. Um, and in that sense, uh, it seems to me. But this is also not based on, on, on research that it seems to have like a, a similar effect 
uh, as people who like do like microdosing or some like mm. uh yeah proper use of like plant medicine yeah um and depending also on where you're at and what type of breathing you do and how yeah. long there's a different effect you know so if you do like a yeah a psychedelic breath session that could have some like effect of like shifting some limiting beliefs or getting you to get into the action plan for starting your own company or letting go yeah. of the heartbreak that you're going through because you just broke up you know yeah. and the helping you exactly. to like focus again mm -hmm. but if you go into like a private breath session then you can also go into more like yeah deeper things of you know um Uh, childhood experiences and we all have our own pain from how we were parented or, or neglect or limiting beliefs that came from those early years yeah. and if you get into like for example holotropic breath which is like super intense breathing of like three hours you go into deep trauma layer uh, where i guess you could compare it uh, to like doing ayahuasca um mm -hmm. where you're really um uh, would would There's, there's like a, a distinct before and after. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like life as you know, it will probably change. And, um, do people start these sessions with a certain intention? Um, like, uh, or, or is it more free flow? Like, okay, um, we know you have fears. We know you have whatever mm -hmm. issues you are going through, depressions or limiting beliefs. Um, you know, let's just start the breathing and see what comes up. Or is it more like, Hey, I want to work on this and that, that happened in my childhood. I yeah. So the one-on-one -on -one is much more focused on really wanting to work on something. Yeah. And when people come from a breath session, yeah, it's, it really is up for them to yeah. feel, you know, w why they're coming there. And sometimes it's just curiosity. Yeah. And sometimes people feeling like, Oh, I feel like I'm, I'm so much in my mind and I need to connect to my body or that they feel like they're going through a hard time and yeah. feeling they need some like support. Um, you know, and for myself with so much of what I do, you know, also with, you know, now offering EMDR therapy, I'm doing it because I've experienced myself how powerful it is. Yeah. And so that's the same thing with the breath work that exactly. also like really changed my life. And I went through months of crying with breath work. And then moving into states of, of, of happiness, bliss, ecstasy, uh, moving into empowerment uh, and feeling like if I want to do something and I really want it, I'm just going to go and do it and yeah. not think, Oh, but when, I don't know if I can do that or what are people going to think or like, no, I, I want to do this. I want to create this thing with that person and do it there. And they don't know who I am and like, but I don't care. I had this idea and let's yeah. try it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And before you And before more... I would be like much more like timid and I don't know if that will work and maybe it's not such a good idea or... Yeah. And yeah. you see these changes specifically after you started doing breath work yeah. even more profound than the other therapies and the yeah. other hardships you went through yeah. specifically these things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Also, yeah, I, I ha myself have some... um 
experience with breathwork. I tried the Wim Hof training mm. for a while and I was really surprised immediately by how long I could hold my breath. Yeah, it's crazy. Or, yeah. Most people can go up to three minutes without yeah, any yeah, training. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, I think I went up to nearly, well, three at least, I yeah. think. And I could, and then that you can do twice the amount of push-ups in the shorter yeah. uh, time span just after the sessions and mm -hmm. stuff and the cold thing and, you know, being able to endure cold showers at that period like that's something it's always really tough for me to step under even under cold water even when it's hot outside and people start going yeah, around yeah. with sprinklers i don't like it i like the heat <laughs> like, so it was really but um yeah. what i also experienced um because the wim hof is also with like a period of breathing and then mm. retention breathing mm -hmm. retention yeah, it's quite similar yeah but i've also done things where um more like in some um yeah more crazy spiritual mm. workshops and like mm. uh more intense stuff and more adventurous settings maybe like okay mm. we're gonna lay down and we're gonna um like keep breathing breathing like in out connected for a longer period and then i really noticed like also my fingers were cramping yeah. and i was like seeing really horrific imagery and stuff oh. like that and uh, i felt like whoa uh, at one time i was even thinking like is this even responsible to make people just go into <laughs> these things you don't know what traumas people have yeah. you don't know what fears will come up and yeah. it's uh, it's pretty intense you know and uh, but yeah. i i i remember like the the physical experience like my all my, my all these cramps in my muscles and yeah. stuff like that that was something i didn't really feel like going back to or no something. and i i think <laughs> i feel myself be, because i'm a psychologist yeah uh i always explain to people that they may experience cramping of the fingers yeah. and hands it's called respiratory alkalosis and it has an, oh, yeah. a physical physiological base yeah. to why it's happening And I feel that if people don't know, and my lips, everything that that, that they could feel that, <laughs> yeah, some people would get really afraid. And what yeah. you really want them to do is to just also relax into whatever is there, right? Yeah, and, and to be able to surrender to the experience. And so it's always a fine line of explaining what could happen, but not creating any fear or expectations about how beautiful or how intense it could be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Because it can really go to like both sides of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. Also, I could imagine that, uh, well, I think it's a really good thing that you have, you know, your whole background as a psychologist going into these kind of things, because mm. then you can really bring in so many elements uh, to support people and, mm. uh You have so much more, uh, yep, uh, training in what to do in mm. more difficult situations and stuff. And yeah. I think that's really, that's a good thing to have, you know, to, to be able to, to trust yourself in this and other people can put their confidence in, uh, mm. going through this journey. Mm. Um, also, I would think, um, coming back to, uh, things like mindfulness and meditation, mm -hmm. um, Yeah, I, I can imagine uh, that, well, you know, for a lot of people, I've said this on previous episodes of the podcast also, mm. maybe if you can do mindfulness for a long time in your life uh, with just the uh, experience of relaxation and fear, mm -hmm. stress reduction, fear reduction, yeah, yeah. and never go into the deeper mm. aspects of, for example, 
focusing attention back on itself、mm. and then finding out that it's kind of like a dog chasing its own tail and you have no self. There is nothing to find there and finding、mm-hmm. like there is no first person observer. There's just observation. And、mm-hmm. these are, yeah. Really interesting,、uh, aspects of the mind to discover and really peaceful aspects as、yeah. well. Uh, I have, and, and people often like this kind of ego death thing. They experience it sometimes. They really need a psychedelic experience for it, you、mm-hmm. know, to really see that, hey, the fabric of my mind can completely melt away and the fabric、yeah. of my own、uh, center can completely fade away. But I could imagine that something like breath work would be a, a more, For people who don't want to take substances、mm. or for whom sub- substances are not suitable、mm. for whatever reason, that something like this could really show them like, Hey, your mind, uh, yeah, has this deeper aspect to it to be discovered, you know,、yeah. like what you said yourself that you were,、uh, having this psychedelic experience. I mean, it's even called psychedelic breath. So yeah, yeah. yeah. I can imagine that it could make people more interested in. Yeah, and I think also for a lot of people because it's an active thing. Yeah. You know, you know, that you're sitting and breathing and not just sitting on a pillow, closing your eyes in meditation, which、yeah. I think nowadays is,、uh, for Western people is really,、uh, quite a challenge and,、uh, boring and, you know, <laughs> with the breath work, there's、yeah. like music and I put on like, I think <laughs> I could say myself, like, I really like, you know, the music I play, like really nice electronic music with like, Tribal and shamanic influences and all kinds of stuff. And, um, that there's a, a different experience to it. Um, but you, yeah, as I said, that often do people do experience quite a deep sense of stillness. And it's、yeah. especially during that first breath hold. And what also happens then is that because you're holding your breath for a while, the oxygen levels are going down a bit. Yeah. And what happens is that, The, your brain and your body chooses to keep the blood flow to the older structures of the brain. So it's going more to the brain stem and、mm. to the limbic system and the prefrontal cortex, which has been added later in evolution, gets less oxygen. And so there's a temporary decrease. So there has been like these brain scan studies during breath work. Yeah. Then, yeah. Yeah. So there's a temporary decrease to the oxygenation of the prefrontal cortex. Okay. And they call that a transient hypofrontality. So a decrease in activity of the frontal,、yeah. frontal lobes. And so the prefrontal cortex is used for all the judging and planning and analyzing、yeah. and basically all the crap that you've <laughs> Tell, telling yourself or the other people have told of you and that you've decided to remember <laughs> yeah, yeah. somehow. And it's so hard to let go of, right? Yeah. So in this moment, when there's this space of transient hyperfrontality, often we're connecting more to the limbic system where our feelings and emotions and memory are. Yeah. And that is also where people often have these moments of, of, of insight. Okay. And,、uh, of being able to let go of limiting beliefs or to really feel like, Oh, what do I want in my heart? Or what is my intuition、yeah. uh, telling me? And to not be thinking from this、uh, analytical mind that often drives us in all our decision making、yeah. and coming back more. Yeah. To this, this heartfulness and this, this, this deeper sense of knowing、mm-hmm. and really listening to ourselves. So I really see breath work as like a super highway to self, you know, because within 45 minutes, 
you can like really come home in so many ways. And what do you mean um, by coming home or the self you're describing here, which is what is this home, this self that is, yeah. It's, I, I guess I could best describe it as, as this space where you, you know, what is truth, you know, and if you okay. had any like voices or cr critical voices telling you, Oh, you're not this, or you're to this or to that, or you can't do this. That's as kind of dissolving. Uh, but also the, 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 the weight of like, um, painful emotions that are maybe stored within you as a, in the breath session that sometimes people are able to feel and express and let go that you can also come to these deeper truths of self of like, Oh, okay. So there's all this pain from back then when I was six, but you know, That, that you can also feel this like love for yourself or, or forgiveness to whoever was not capable of giving you what you needed. Yeah. And this can be, can be really, yeah, really quite deeply healing. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you have, but you haven't combined the breath work yet with like, for example, EMDR or given it to your so regular. I'm starting with that now. Uh, okay. The last two or three months. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's new. So I have therapy clients who are coming to me, who are coming just for breath work or who have done EMDR. And now we're, uh, kind of, yeah, completing the therapy by, yeah. by getting into breath work. Cause I do think I still feel that, yeah, if people are really suffering from trauma, um, that for me right now, the preferred route is to still start with EMDR. Yeah. Uh, and I really go through that processing but then you know the body also stores so much um yeah. and and there's a lot out there now about how how yeah the body the body keeps the score there's a book <laughs> called the body keeps the yeah. score about trauma and uh, and the body and um that i think that breathwork is also one of the entrances to really connect more to the body. And when I, I do a one-on-one -on -one session, there's also a lot more touch and contact, oh, yeah. you know, so I'm also touching a lot the you know, the belly or the stomach or using pressure points yeah. and, uh, that can, yeah, really allow for deep releases. Yeah. Interesting. I'm also really curious where this is all heading to, um, what we will discover more about it. Because I, I do have the feeling like, um, Uh, whenever something is new, mm. um, like some sort of therapy, some sort of technique, mm -hmm. I mean, new is relative, right? This is old, this but it's old, but uh, it's considered new. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or newly researched new in Western yeah. society or things like that. I have the feeling there is like, uh, first there is like the skeptics and the enthusiasts and both have their biases. Uh, mm. I mean, that's what I was reading about James Nestor also, like his yeah. book, people were really interested in it, but like some, uh, reviews were also saying, uh, that's, yeah, he's also a little bit, uh, 
biased in certain sen senses mm -hmm. or is ignoring certain placebo effects. And uh -huh. I haven't read the book. I don't know. But I, I mean, I, I find it, I, I can imagine like, you know, something new comes on mm -hmm. and some people get really enthusiastic. Some mm -hmm. people become skeptic. And this whole thing kind of this yin yang has to kind of work <laughs> its way out to find the uh, gems in it, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I, especially with therapy, I think it's really... I mean, it's such a difficult thing to research. So I think yeah. the more openings you have to work with people's yeah. things. Um, and not everything is for everyone. Yeah. You know, what, where are you at in life and what are you open to? You yeah. know, and, and, and then, uh, yeah, depending on that, then, then, uh, breath work or even EMDR could also just not be for you. You know, yeah. there are also people who are like, well, I want you to like fix my problems, therapist, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and make me not feel stressed and have nightmares, but I don't really want to feel any emotions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> and then I haven't had that happen, but I've, I've had maybe one or two encounters with EMDR where the resistance to feeling any emotion was so big that for a couple of sessions, I was like, okay. So this may also just not work. Yeah. And I have to like try something else or. Maybe this person prefers to take medication. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. It's, uh, yeah, I've, I've had, uh, I've been through EMDR myself and exposure therapy, mm -hmm. which is another, uh, way to yeah. uh, deal with traumas. Um, and, um, I, I wonder, uh, well, what I, what my conclusion sort of is, is mm. that, uh, maybe, I, I was expecting a very specific outcome. I was like, okay, if I go through this, that means mm. that if I have certain conversations with my mom, they won't <laughs> trigger certain frustration or anger in me mm. anymore. I was like, this is, and then you go through it and then you're, you're like, yeah. for a while it goes well. And then you're like, oh no, I'm triggered again. Oh no, shit. Like how, this. Phone call. I hung up on my mom again on the phone. Like you're like, I don't know. Yeah, no. Old Family stuff. patterns go deep. Yeah. And then <laughs> That's I was like, hard to erase. Yeah. <laughs> and I think also that shouldn't be. I don't know. It's uh, they marketed it. Well, I think they were saying uh, for that specific uh -huh. uh, therapy thing that mm. uh, seventy five percent of people going. Because it was like multiple days with exposure and EMDR oh, yeah. therapy. I just yeah. they just focused it like to make sure that it would be effective yeah. and they had seen good results. But it really, I think they would say seventy five for seventy five percent of the people doing this, yeah. they're um, uh, yeah they're, effective. Yeah, it's effective. Yeah, and trauma. Yeah, and and their and yeah. certain the symptoms go away. Yeah, but then it really you know, which are the symptoms and what is it effective for? And exactly mm. like if, if there, I think it's really, it really depends if what kind of trauma you're coming from also, and exactly how open you are to certain therapy, mm. because maybe the thing I was going, uh, yeah, the thing I was bringing into the therapy wasn't exactly the thing that was suited for exactly those two specific things. And there were other people who had like, maybe one heavy incident in their life, something mm -hmm. really bad happening to them that created this avoidance of going to public transport or avoiding. Yeah, like, and if you have a one-off event, that's something. Yeah. But if you have something like in a, in a, 
family system. Yeah, exactly. You're talking about years. Yeah, yeah. You need a lot of EMDR to go yeah, through that. Exactly. You don't do that in six sessions. No. No. <laughs> uh, like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I also noticed just for myself, like the other people in the group, they were seeing effects day after day yeah. from their sessions. It was getting heavier for me, like after the first two days didn't have much more didn't much yeah. other things coming up so yeah um, yeah i don't no, know and for everyone it's different you know and i've seen people come in and out you know after two sessions and they're like oh gone done i'm great yeah you know and other people where we go on and on and on for like you know 10 12 15 sessions which is yeah. rare uh, but sometimes, yeah, more is needed, but it also depends on, on really, you know, what it is. I've found also if the trauma has to do with also, uh, loss, you know, so sometimes I also see women who have like, uh, yeah, have to like, um, birth babies that they know who are going to yeah. be dead, you uh. know, like with choosing not to have a child with Down syndrome or losing a baby at 20 weeks pregnancy. And knowing that you're going to birth a baby who's uh, either dead or going to die wow. within minutes of birth. This is so deep. You know, I would say we could devote a whole episode <laughs> of a podcast to this whole topic. This is yeah. crazy. Yeah. Then often more is needed. Yeah. You know, it's different having a miscarriage at six weeks. And there also, I think the amount of trauma is really underestimated because I see so many women after birthing a healthy baby who end up with either postpartum depression or a very intense birth experience because before they had a miscarriage that was not processed. Ah, uh, okay. And miscarriages are really quite common. If you mm -hmm. count in all pregnancies, even pregnancies, they only last for a week. You yeah. know, like me, you don't even notice you're pregnant. You just think, oh, that's a weird menstruation. Uh, oh, yeah. So, there are a lot of pregnancies that end in uh, in miscarriage, one yeah. in three. Okay, wow, yeah. Yeah, so that's a, a super high rate. And so a percentage of that is actually, you know, women who know they're pregnant who then end up losing a child. And uh, because it's so common, it's really uh, people are rationalizing it as like, oh, you know, it happens and it's good that your body's like not keeping the baby because it's mm. not well and... Um, and, and a lot of women are fine with it, but I think it's underestimated, uh, the, 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 the possible impact that it has yeah. and uh, that it can actually be a lot more traumatic than what you would think okay. and that it affects women for long term. And especially they'll notice it if they do end up getting pregnant and birthing and mothering that, that there's this, um, yeah, this experience and imprint that is uh, also distorting all kinds of other experiences. Right. And um, I'm seeing that now this year often in people coming in for postpartum depression that I think like, ooh, well, actually what you're feeling now is the grief that you had <laughs> before you had the healthy pregnancy oh, yeah. that you didn't allow yourself to feel because you're so focused on getting pregnant again and making it work that you didn't allow yourself to go full through the full grief and, and trauma <laughs> of the experience. Wow. <laughs> and now it's coming after you've had your baby and you want to be with your baby and be happy, but you can't because everything's coming up. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Intense. I think uh, it's, yeah, giving birth and the whole process around it, something that's 
we uh, men uh, won't ever really be able to fully grasp like how, what that is you know yeah. motherhood and yeah all the positive and negative and everything yeah and and i wish there was so much more space for pregnancy and birth and death in our lives yeah they're so um Yeah, death is ignored. You know, of. death is completely ignored. It's completely taboo. It doesn't happen. And it, when and then, it happens, and then oops. birth, you know, we all know birth happens, but nobody really wants to talk about it or hear about it. And, mm. and, and so it's also has a bit of a taboo, you know, yeah. so women prepare for birth really kind of on their own, never have had seen birth or heard much about it from other people and other women. And for sure, also men don't talk about it. And nowadays, a lot of men are present at birth. Yeah. Nobody's talking about it. Yeah. And, but it's life. And we were all born. That's yeah. how we all start. And there's also so much more now that is in the process of becoming a little bit more known is that, yeah, there's a, a likelihood that we are also all also affected by our own birth experience. Hmm. because not because our mind remembers but because of cellular memory because our body has its memory of its own of the things that it experiences hmm. if you think of trauma being stored in the body why would a baby not have that if a 10 year old has it yeah it's a yeah difficult uh, I'm, i don't think we have a clear answer to this right now yet no we? like because no. also the body goes through a lot of change in the first years you don't also mm. have memories well most people don't have memories from when they were one or something so i have the feeling maybe the yeah that those first years like a lot of the things that happen then mm. don't really translate maybe i don't know into adulthood but maybe they do like but that's the thing yeah you know 20 30 years ago we thought that babies didn't experience pain Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah? What other messed up things do we believe yeah, yeah. about babies now that in 50 years we'll go like, oh my God, they were so stupid back then. Yeah. They thought that babies didn't, you know, that the, why, it, 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 you know, babies become children, become adults. It's, yeah. it's a person, it's a human. Yeah. yeah. So, um, we should definitely be open to. Yeah. I think that there needs affect, to be more awareness yeah. of that effect, you know, and as you're born, you're also taking your first full breath. Yeah. <laughs> of life. Yeah. yeah. And so for me, everything has become really much more full circle into mm. seeing how, uh, yeah, the things that I do are all kind of interconnected. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Interesting. I uh, kind of wanted to, um, in the last part of mm. this awesome podcast that we're doing, <laughs> wanted to ask you also about um, how you experience um, the world of um, coming from a scientific background mm. and also being in more like spiritual communities like we're both in mm. the ecstatic dance community and there's a mixture of people there but mm -hmm. there's um i see like this tendency of new age spirituality um which i for me personally i see that well and i just see that it's not always based on 
researching things or mm. uh, uh, facts, but also based on dogma and just accepting things. While mm-hmm. there is for me also this very, this path of spirituality that does not contradict being rational or no. trying to be, I mean, I'm a human being. I have my biases. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> saying I don't, but it's just like, um, so for me, you know, I sometimes find it difficult mm-hmm. to see that people are, um, not being critical about certain mm. ideas and that can affect them making maybe more, um, harmful decisions in their life. Yeah. So it's saying. But on the other hand, I do see that um, believing in a little bit of magic can help certain people maybe yeah. to feel better. And I don't know. I was wondering how you uh, were looking at this from your own perspective. Hmm. Yeah, I think there's uh, a lot out there. And, and I, I, I find in the past years also my ideas about what is possible and what is reality is in a a state of change and and expansion um where yeah um yeah much more open to many more new things one of them also being like in the last couple years that i've been like much more able to uh, connect with what i can only describe as as your energetic body Okay. So we have like yeah. a physical body and then we have our emotions and, uh, and now I've, I've been able to feel for myself also like, oh, but there is actually also really, there's, there's energy, you know, like, and I, for me, that was always a concept of like some things I'd read about and you thought, okay, maybe if you meditate in a cave in India for 50 years, <laughs> who knows what happens, you know, <laughs> um, so that that's shifted and opened my mind also to to not also not close myself to things that I haven't experienced or that science doesn't back up yet yeah and going like oh that's not possible or not real but I do see around me a lot of people that I think they find it really easy to just get into oh I'm not feeling that great um Oh, now it's, you know, it's Mercury retrograde or I forgot to put my gemstone under my bed or no, my gemstone hasn't been cleaned since that friend came to my house and now it's polluted. Uh, you know, like, (laughs) like, I don't know, like it can, it can go a bit far sometimes. Um, with, with, with people where I think they forget that they are also responsible for the things that they do. And also for how they feel, um, you know, like, uh, and really also taking care of themselves and taking care of their health and not getting into this, like, um, yeah, uh, blaming outward circumstances or people or things and, and also really taking responsibility, you know, I think you can be quite spiritual, but also really know that you are the one who is responsible for your own life. Even though you're not in charge of everything that happens, you have to take responsibility for your own feelings and actions. This is interesting because, um, uh, this is for me, not something that's maybe I've seen that much or have, yeah, 
like clearly seen happen, but you've seen, you, you feel like there is people in spiritual communities that really don't take responsibility for this was not my concern. So to say, but you think there's, there's people who really are uh, blaming a lot of things while they have to deal with things that they don't want to deal with or like, I don't know, like someone who's like, I don't know, uh, in physical pain and yeah. then thinking, Oh, maybe I'm feeling this now because I hang out with people who are not vaccinated. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you're like, okay, well, if you're in so much pain, maybe you should also just go to a doctor, you know. You mean, or no, and hanging then, out with people who are vaccinated. Yeah, maybe. yeah. Oh, sorry, who are vaccinated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so they're the other way around. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're thinking, they, oh, I'm being affected by other yeah, people's, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you know, the fact that they're vaccinated. <laughs> and, and then feeling pain, but then ignoring it because you have this theory, right? That vaccinated people are dangerous. Exactly. <laughs> And then, well, exactly. and then, and then later finding out, oh shoot, you know, I'm, I'm actually sick and I'm in the hospital now because I ignored the signal from my body yeah. telling me for weeks that I was in pain. I've seen this happen. Yeah. 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 But, uh, well, I would even say like that during this pandemic, yeah. my concerns have become bigger because exactly, for example, the theories people throw around about vaccination and, yeah. um, the um disbelief in uh western medical science mm. and stuff that i mean i have the feeling if people have a mentality of hey i decide what's true for me mm-hmm. uh, okay that could be gemstones or astrology or things that i don't believe in because mm. i see that there is no evidence for it and there is even counter evidence but uh fine you know that's mm. uh, if if you are happy with that that's fine but I have the feeling that once people start thinking, hey, I can believe whatever the fuck I want, then they let this pour over into areas mm. which we actually have research for. And yeah. then there, this like, well, I don't trust these vaccines or I don't trust medical interventions. Mm. That's my truth. Your truth may be different. And then I'm like, okay, well, this is where your, my truth, your truth analogy falls apart because we live yeah. in a shared reality. And, um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I must say, I found myself a bit confused about that the last two years. Okay. And I, I might have found myself, uh, I, experiencing this strange shift where I always before felt that I was part of this like communal sense of reality. Yeah. And all of a sudden during the pandemic, I started to realize, Oh my God, everybody's living in their own bubble, but they don't see it. Yeah. They think there may be part of what is seen and perceived as reality. And of course you have mainstream reality, which is broadcasted by mainstream media um but yeah it, it, it goes it goes a bit deeper than that and i think actually that everybody is much more in their own perceived reality but that we're so unaware of that that we don't see that but you mean there is a shared reality that can be discovered through observation science etc. well i think you know the 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 physical reality i think as humans that we share pretty much the same 
reality in that sense. But when you're talking about what is real and not real in science and politics and yeah. vaccines, vaccines and all that kind of stuff and how does society work and what's important in life, you know, then I think then there's actually really quite a fragmentation. Yes, there there's is. a lot bigger than, than I was ever aware of before. And it was quite an eye opening experience to see, ah, I was in a bubble. I'm not no longer in that bubble, but I must have ended up in another bubble because I realized that everybody's living in their own bubble. <laughs> but don't you think that there is still, like, if you're talking about mainstream media and stuff? Yeah. Well, I've even I've I've had conversation. I've I've read things in the Dutch uh, public news yeah. agency NOS yeah. uh, that I uh, and I saw. Hey, this number is not representative, or this is something that's wrong, or this is giving a wrong message. I've messaged them. They've uh, actually taken down things. They've actually listened oh, to wow. feedback. Not always, yeah, but yeah. sometimes. So yeah. But and uh, so I do see that there is. You know, it's not. Um, the media isn't always biased necessarily, no. but I mean, there is still scientific institutions. So if I yeah. really want to know something, I go, for example, to the site of nature, mm -hmm. the pu publications or mm -hmm. science mm -hmm. magazine publications or yeah. national geographic, where they yeah. have a lot of references to research. Exactly. exactly. And no. I and I think, you know, I, I think it's good that we have science, you know, yeah. and it's good that there is research done. And I think it's like, helpful and uh, for many things life-saving yeah. uh, but we do really need to revisit how that is done because a lot of science is also politics and money and power and mm. unfortunately that is not taken out of the game um that even if you take out you know uh, the impact of the like pharmaceutical industry just people wanting to do research And getting the money to do it already to get into that game, it's politics and power. Yeah, there is politics you know. involved in it. But I mean, yeah, I, I do still trust like the um, voices of the big scientific bodies that we have. I don't think the corruption is that widespread yet that we mm. can't trust like the, the European agency or the yeah. FDA completely or because no. they come with. You know, it's still luckily in, in, in Western countries and uh, a lot of the world, uh, yeah. there is still scientific institutions yeah. controlling a lot of yeah. things. Yeah. In a but, but then I think also what's really important is that we need to kind of revisit also the Western idea and model of health and sickness yeah. because, yeah, Uh, the, the Western model is so much focused on uh, disease and decreasing of symptoms. Yeah. Uh, whereas if you look at other, other, um, um, ways of, of, of looking at health, specifically also the more Asian ways of looking at health, if you look at Ayurveda or Chinese medicine, you're looking much more at like, what is health and balance? And how do we live in a way that we're healthy and balanced? And so there's a whole lifestyle that comes with it and a whole mindset and a whole way of eating, you know, and that I think if you look at the, the healthcare system and the amount of pills and yeah. procedures that are done in hospitals, you know, I mean, I mean, I've seen, I've seen clients coming in, you know, 
for therapy for their anxiety who have just had a gastric bypass because they've been obese and they're like killing themselves and yes. having serious problems and be like, okay, so you got through that. You've got your weight down, uh, but you've had this gastric bypass and like, okay, so what are you allowed to eat now? And they're like, yeah, well, I got like a little bit of advice, but not really, you know. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, we are so failing, you know, yeah, putting yeah. all this money in these like huge operations that are also life threatening and damaging while helping someone, but then not following up on like, how are we going to actually yeah. live a healthy life and not be dependent on having, you know, all kinds of little patches done and placed for the next 40 years until this person dies yeah yeah living you know not a non-healthy life yeah of course i agree with with that we need to look at, at life as a whole thing instead of just fixing and patching certain yeah. parts and that i think a lot of people do see that also in mm. the medical sciences and practitioners and doctors and um And at the same time, I, I do think like, um, if you look at the traditions like Ayurveda and, mm. um, Chinese medicine, they were not always also doing proper research, you know, and coming to conclusions about eating, uh, I don't know, like a rhinoceros horn and dead mice or something. I don't know. <laughs> dead mice might be wrong, but like just, just throwing in things based on their intuition and wasn't also like the answer to everything. Right. I don't know. You read about that or? Well, I, I know. Yeah. I mean, I know that, that in Chinese medicine, like they combine sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, it's also about like throwing ingredients together po and creating some magical potion sometimes mm. that is you mean not... based on the on the, the skills and the intuition of the practitioner yeah exactly yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yeah ba basically that's yeah I, i mean we have to i think we have to take away from the different practices the valuable things and not throw them away as a whole but we have to yeah. remain like truth focused you know both in western medicine that we don't want it to be run by purely uh profit making models obviously mm. and we also don't want to just absorb everything as truth from other alternative medicine yeah uh just because some parts of it seem good no or, you know, of course just... and i think it's great that there are more more and more hospitals that have you know integrative departments yeah. that are looking more in a holistic way and integrating also acupuncture and other things into you know into western science but you know that yeah i think there's so much about uh in that type of healthcare of hospitals that needs to be like revisited like if you look at some countries like america coming back to birth yeah they yeah. have like really high c-section rates yeah, yeah 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 and there's part of that there's also like a financial incentive because a c-section gives mm. a lot more money oh, yeah. Yeah. than a woman coming in for labor yeah. yeah so there's somebody making a lot of money and the woman is more in and out and something you can schedule during the work hours of the practitioners and not in the middle of the night in the weekend yeah so you can arrange your staff in a different way And then you don't need someone who's in a bed, maybe in labor for three days with all the staff and nurses that need to take care of them. So there's all these like financial incentives that are affecting how we do things. Yeah. 
And a C-section birth sometimes is needed because a woman really doesn't want a vaginal birth or uh, there's a physical complication or, or an emergency C-section yeah. that can be life-saving, yeah? So they, they, sometimes they're needed, but uh, those high rates are also really disturbing because um, I, it's, it's a different birth where there are a lot of things that come into play that could have also some long-term effects with having a more difficult attachment, having the mom go through a traumatic birth and not being able to be more like emotionally yeah. present with the baby. You have like a six week recovery of like a really intense surgery. And the baby is then also not exposed to the mother's microbiome because mm. when the baby passes through the birth canal and the vagina, they get a whole layer of the mom, mother's microbiome over them that helps to boost their own uh, defense system and, and immune system. And if you have a cesarean birth, that's not happening uh, as well as also the, the contractions help to like move also fluid out of the lungs and helping, you know, for a better, better yeah. start, you yeah. know? So sometimes, you know, things are set in place to, make more money. Also, sometimes I think, you know, some doctors do those things also to reduce risk. So they think yeah. oh, about liability yeah, and yeah. doing the things that have the, like the lowest amount of risk or, or the, the possibility of, you know, being like uh, brought to court or something like that, yeah. or having a client who's not happy and that they're using too many interventions yeah. and really causing more damage than good. Yeah. I mean, of course, those are pro problems that exist. Yeah. Um, but I guess, you know, what you need in cases like that, um, bad practices are made better with better observation, better research. M bad science needs better science. Exactly. Like, uh, that's yeah. what I really think. Yeah. 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 And I think, yeah, for myself. Yeah. There's, there's, yeah, the, 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 my sense of trust in the Western medical system is, has really not become better through the years of also hearing people going through things and, uh, feeling that if people were, get, had more time to do their jobs, yeah. that they would be giving much better care. And, um, and also if the, the practitioners would allow themselves to actually use their brains more <laughs> instead of focusing on if it's in the medical textbook, that's the way it is. If it's not in the medical textbook, it doesn't exist. Yeah. Cause I've had conversations like that about my own health. Yeah. Uh, whereas I've, I've been able to talk to doctors and like, okay, so you say that's not possible, but if you would use your own brain right now and think through these steps with me, there is a highly likelihood <laughs> of what I'm saying that the things that I'm feeling in my body have to do with that and that. And they're like, yeah, you're right. Actually, it's not in the book, but it makes sense what you're saying. Yeah. And doctors have lost a lot of doctors have lost the ability to, to continue to use their own judgment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but at the same time, if you see, like, we do have the uh, highest life expectancy and, um, mm. um, yeah, 
certain diseases get replaced by other diseases obviously i mean like things like obesity and stuff those are problems of countries having way too much access exactly. to food we get old and <laughs> we get sick yeah yeah but i mean it's also i mean there's also a lot of improvement while you do see in other areas of the world that people suffer more from health complications in general than in the western world so i i do think we're heading in a right direction don't you think <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I can imagine that if uh, people are living in extreme um, poverty, that there's uh, some really severe health issues. Uh, yeah. And I'm curious to see if you're looking at people who are um, not living in a Western society, but not living in, in extreme poverty. If you compare oh, yeah. the health, then I'm curious to see what the answer is. Yeah, that would be interesting. But I mean, just like also comparing different methods of um, um, medicinal interventions and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, it's an ongoing research. Anyways, thank you very much for yeah. your time. It's been an awesome conversation. Yeah, thank you so much, Navid. Uh, it's been uh, really, uh, yeah fun to be here yeah nice and uh yeah i feel like we could also even talk a lot more about a lot of different topics so who knows? for sure in <laughs> for the, sure in the future next episodes yeah let's see beautiful hope you enjoyed this episode uh, if you'd like to support the show you can go to inspirationpodcast.com and see uh, what the options are you can also sign up for our newsletter over there to receive an email when a new episode is released thank you for listening and see you all next time